Hey y'all, this is Charlie and we are living, loving, laughing in grace. And we are also now in part three of a series uh, entitled, You Are in the Great Shepherd's Arms Close to His Heart. And we actually got that, uh, if you remember, a couple episodes ago from Isaiah 40, verse 11, where it reads, it tells us this, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And from there, we've just been on an incredible adventure that the Lord's taking us on to see what a tender, loving, attentive shepherd that he is to us and that we are his sheep well cared for, well provided for. We know that he's going to lead us and guide us and look after us. And uh, it's just been a great time, right? And the end of the last podcast, the Lord had led us from here and to another great image that we get to see him as our shepherd and Psalms 23. And we're going to pick up there again today after we say a quick prayer together. Daddy God, we thank you so much that you are our good, good shepherd. We thank you that you carry us in your arms, that you want to hold us so close that we can even feel your heartbeat and you can feel ours. And we thank you that that heartbeat is declaring your love towards us. And we just ask you now to give us a greater revelation of just how long and high and deep and wide is the love of Christ for us and bring us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better, Father. We want to know you better. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we are going to jump right back into Psalms 23. Last time we had just got into verse 1, and guess what? We're going to go back to verse 1, right? Because we're not rushing anything. We are just hanging out here, listening to the word that the Lord has us. So we're going to Psalms 23, verse 1, that says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Do you know there are so many examples from the Bible where we can see the Lord taking care of his people. And I think that when we look at Abraham, we get such an incredible picture and live in color. Like I like to say, it might be on pages that are in black and white, but we get to see and live in color through his life what it means when you are a sheep that belongs to the great shepherd that says, because you're in my flock, you shall not want. And so we're going to do that today. We're going to see what it means to say the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want by looking at the life of Abraham. And we know that he is such a great example for us because Abraham actually lived over 400 years before the law was given, before the Ten Commandments were ever given. So he is a picture for us of what it's like to be when you're living in a relationship with the Lord based on his grace. Because the Bible tells us that Abraham was made righteous, not because of the things he did, not because of his works or his efforts. He was made righteous because God imputed it to him because he believed in Jesus Christ. 
My friends, isn't that how we receive righteousness? In fact, the Bible says this very thing in Romans chapter four, verse one. It says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What it's saying is that if Abraham had been made righteous based on something that he did, then he would be able to boast about that. He'd be able to brag about that. He'd be able to say, see, look how I serve the Lord. See, look how I give to the poor. See, look how I tithe. See, look how he was the first man ever to tithe. But that is not what made him righteous. What made him righteous, the Bible says that he was not, he, he might be able to boast, but not before God. It says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was accounted as righteous simply for believing God. My friends, that's exactly what the covenant is that we are under today. We are under the new covenant where we receive righteousness simply by believing God, believing his gospel that because his son, Jesus Christ, took all of our sins at the cross, we have now been made righteous. Amen. It even goes on to say that. Romans 4, 23, it says, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It's saying we didn't write this just for Abraham's sake, but for us as well. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him. That's Jesus Christ, who, or that, that's the Lord who raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead. Once again, it says, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up because of our justification. My friends, Jesus's resurrection is our assurance, is our proof that we have been justified. He was imputed with all of our sin and all of our guilt so that we have been imputed with his righteousness. What that word imputed means is that it has been accounted to us. It has been put to our account. Was it not put to Jesus's account? Our sin, our sin was put on him. You know, it's like if you can, it, this, these are very legal terms. It's like if you're looking at a banking book. And, and, and you have all the debts on one side and the credit on the other. And God took all our debts and accounted them into Jesus's account. And then because they were in Jesus's account, he had to pay for them. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he died. That's why he went to hell, because that's the debt that each and every one of us owed. And then he was raised again proving that it has all been cleared. It has all been put away. We have been justified, but don't you know our God is so good. He doesn't stop there. He didn't just clear us of our debt. He then takes the righteousness of his son from his account and puts it into ours. 
Something we could never ever possibly earn or deserve has been accounted, accredited, given to us by the grace of God. Hallelujah. That, my friends, is the gospel. And we get to see the gospel play out in Abraham's life. The Lord gives that to us. So we have a picture to see how he wants us to live with him, walk with him, rely on him, trust him. And we get to see a man who was not perfect, a man who did fail many times in the same areas. And yet God was faithful to him and kept coming alongside him continued to guide him, continued to lead him, continued to call his name, continued to protect him and provide for him as a good shepherd does his flock. Until one day, Abraham finally got it and realized that he could trust God, that he could count on him, that he knew God would not leave him or forsake him. My friends, that's the place the Lord wants to bring each and every one of us to. Amen. So we're going to look, we're going to take a sneak peek at Abraham's life. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. How is this for not wanting? In Genesis 13, 1. It says, then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. I want you to say in livestock, in silver and in gold. See, it's enough to say really that he was very rich, right? But the Lord knew that there would be people that would come along and say, oh no, this, this richness is just a spiritual wealth. It was his soul that was rich. Well, I can argue that by the events that happened in the chapter right before this. But that's why the Lord spells it out for us. He was rich in livestock, right? One of the largest commodities of his day and silver and gold. And as I said, was he rich in these things because of something he had done? Well, the chapter right before this is the first time that Abram gives up his wife, Sarai, to a heathen king because she was so beautiful at the age of 60 that, the, the, uh, that um, Pharaoh himself wanted her for his harem. And at this point, Abram hasn't quite learned to trust in the Lord, to protect him and protect his wife. So he uses his own wisdom, his own reasoning, his own ideas, and comes up with this little scheme. When they come to Egypt, he knows that his wife's a very beautiful woman. And he says, you know, they're going to look at my wife and to have her, they're going to kill me. So to save his own neck, this man tells his wife, if anyone asks, tell them you're my sister. And so she does. And so Pharaoh takes her. But guess what? The very God that Abram didn't believe would protect him and his wife stepped in, protected him and his wife, did not allow Pharaoh to go near his wife. In fact, made Pharaoh give his wife back and he blessed Abram for it. He left with more wealth than he showed up with. My friends, the Bible says, when we are faithless, God is faithful. 
And so that's the stage where we come to this phrase where it says that Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And in case you don't know, originally Abram's name was Abram and Sarah's name was Sarai. And so at this point, there's still Abram and Sarai. And later on, the Lord changes their names. And it goes on to say, Lot, who was Abram's nephew that he brought with him, it says, Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. He became very wealthy simply for following Abram around. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great. Say their possessions were so great. Their possessions were so great that they couldn't even dwell together. Amen. Let's say it again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So we see here from Abram's account that when the Lord says, I shall not want, that does include wealth. My friends, if we don't have wealth, how are we to bless anyone else around us? We don't want wealth for wealth's sake. We don't want to be greedy. We don't want to be lustful after it. But I know from experience, if I don't have any money, I can't give any to anybody else. I don't think that's too hard to understand. But we ought to understand too that the Lord first wants to take care of you. He wants to see you happy and prosperous and joyful and enjoying the life that he gave you. And out of that overflow, because our God never knows how to give just enough, right? He always gives us more than enough. Out of that overflow, you then become a blessing to those around you. Think about it. If we have just enough, you know what? It's like, oh, I'm all good. I've got just enough for me and my family, so I don't really need any more. Honestly, that's kind of selfish because if I got just enough for me, I can't help anybody else. But our God is a God of way more than enough. Come on now, how about Peter in the boat when Jesus borrows his boat from him so that he can preach the word of God to the multitude that was thronging him to hear the word of God. And Jesus repays them by giving them two boat sinking, net breaking load of fishes. They were literally drowning in money. Maybe that's where that expression came from. What do you think fish are to fishermen? It's money and their boats were drowning from it. They were sinking from it. Amen. Our God always gives us an abundance. Amen. Amen. I want to show you something else as our shepherd and we shall not want that we learn about Abraham. When he says we shall not want, this is all encompassing, my friend. We shall not want for wealth. We shall not want for protection. We shall not want for victory and we shall not want for wisdom. That's what we're about to see next in Abraham's life. So if we skip on over to Genesis 14, I'm going to give you a lowdown. So, so Lot and Abram couldn't live together because their wealth was so great. So uh, Abram tells them, you know, hey, let's, let's part ways. And even though Abram, being the older, has the right to choose which way he wants to go first, he lets his nephew Lot choose. 
And Lot unfortunately goes by his natural eyes. And he sees these cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and how wealthy they are. They go by the natural eyes. And he chooses to go there. Well, after he's living there, there ends up being a, a war breaks out between the five kings of the cities where Lot's living and four other kings that these cities used to have to pay tribute to and they decided they didn't want to anymore. So I want you to think about this. Four kings of four different nations come to fight five kings of five other nations. I'd call that a world war. What, what would we call it if we saw nine countries go to war with each other? That's a world war, my friends. That's huge. And listen what happens. So in the Valley of Siddim, it says it was full of tar pits and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and they fell there and the remainder fled to the mountains. So basically they got their butts kicked. And when they were trying to run away, they fell into these tar pits and got stuck. It says, then they, these are the kings that defeated them, took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamar, the Amorite, brother of Ashkol and brother of Anner, and they were allies with Abram. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Listen to this. Abram just took 318 servants born in his own home. These aren't warriors. These aren't warriors raised up by another nation. These are the servants from his own home. He takes 318 of them to go fight four kings that are so strong, they just defeated five kings. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I read about Abraham and what he did with his wife in Egypt, he strikes me as a coward. I'm just saying, he gave up his wife to, to commit adultery with another man to save his own neck, right? Kind of sounds a little bit like a coward. But now we see Abram take some 318 men and go pursue these other four kings to get his nephew back. The Lord is my shepherd. I like this. He's my shepherd. I shall not want for courage. I shall not want for boldness. Amen. Well, you know what? That is all we've got time for today. So we're going to have to stop right there and um, just continue this on again. Because like we said, we ain't in no hurry. And we're going to let the Lord lead us through the word at the pace he wants to. Because you know what? Where else? What better opportunity to learn, to listen to his leading, to simply follow him than when we're spending time in his word. Amen. In our time with him, we learn to follow that gentle voice. And then it makes it so much easier to keep following, listening to that gentle voice when we're going about the rest of our day. Amen. And we know he wants to lead us in all things. So there you have it, my friends. Until next time, keep on living, loving, laughing in grace.